It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. The the end of the episode that's when it technically ends hello and welcome to building the game a documentary podcast today is two days after saturday july 2nd which was julio's birthday and yes it's a monday so hey we are here this is jason as your host always blah 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 and today i am joined by as you probably guessed it julio nasario uh the birthday boy as we call him um and uh also jamie sabriel fred Flez Frez. <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> Jamie Sabriel Flez. It's gonna be one of those episodes. Uh two oh, of gosh. our regular co-hosts, and I'm excited to have them both here. This is the first episode other than 500 where you two have been on together. And so it might yeah. be good. It might be a whole crazy debacle. We don't know. Yeah, and it's actually it been the, the fisticuffs. We don't know. It may it's actually the first episode. The Sorry, first episode Julio. where I've been with somebody else other than you, Jason, besides 500. Whoa, so, really? That is yeah. true. That is and, true. Yeah. And, and it's Jason's fault, just to be it clear. It is 100% my fault. Oh, yeah. Julio is always like, I'll record with whoever you want. And I'm like, yeah, cool, cool. And then we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, a part of the reason well, is being because it. a lot of times the topics you have have been really good topics and times for you and I to kind of do updates on all the stuff we're working on. And because with a lot of other people, uh the other you know um hosts i will have more guests and we'll talk about different things um but yeah there's no that doesn't mean that that today's topic is not not, is any less i I know it is but (laughs) this was a topic where we said we should have jamie on and talk about this too so um so yeah but it's uh, i'm excited to have both of y'all here and it's gonna be it's gonna be a good time oh yeah Yeah. so what's been going on especially if you say it like that (laughs) (laughs) um well, with me, what's been going on? Let me tell you what's been going on with me real quick here. Uh, I've got to do, I've been doing some, a um, uh, little bit of development work and solo play testing on um, the game that Isaac and I have with uh, Grand Gamers Guild. And so that's cool. Hmm. And then uh, doing a lot of... Uh, Tiernanog. Like, Tiernanog, yeah, sorry. Oh, yes. I, I forgot if I'd said that on the podcast <laughs> or not. Um, but I, I guess, of course I have. But anyways... Uh, I, we're at a point where several of the designs I'm working on with different people where we've gotten feedback that is that has forced us to take like a step back and really look at like a couple like specific parts of the design to say, OK, um, you know, like what what do we want to do with this and how do we want to pivot this? And so it's an interesting spot. I've never had like three games in that spot at the same time to where we're kind of reviewing the core of the game and saying, what do we want to change here and how does that affect the rest of the game? And it's all positive. Like I'm super excited about it. Um, but it's an interesting spot to be in with that. I, I, it's, it's odd the symmetry of having like multiple games with multiple people and they all happen to hit that spot at the same time. (laughs) Um, it's weird. (laughs) It's really weird. You think it has to do with the co-design process that you have? Uh, you know, I, I think, I think that yes. So, but I what I think that happened was, I think we were um, kind of doing a lot of design work and a lot of solo, uh, a lot of designer play testing, right? Just the just myself and the co designer banging through yeah. stuff, trying to test it, and then between getting live play tests in um, down in St. Louis uh, at Geekway, 
and then also getting some new online tests that were very targeted to have very specific people playing them to get specific types of feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most notably with uh, Before the Light Dies, we had Jonathan Chaffer and Roscoe Shock test it because we knew they would, we, we thought they would stand a chance of not breaking the game, but but kind of breaking the game down in a way with feedback that would be useful. And it was, um, but it changed some things uh, in a way we didn't expect. And we had made a hard, some hard changes on Minecart Madness, uh, a geek way. And then coming back from there, we made some tweaks, which kind of changed up some really core things of the game for the better. Uh, but it's required some more redesign, I think, than we expected, than Kelly and I are expected on that, um, which is good. Uh, but it, again, it's kind of an odd space to be in with that. And then if you find this is a constant like redesign and refining process, being that it's a role-playing game and just the way Hannah and I work, it's a lot of play test, take the feedback back, make some sweeping changes, and then slowly work back to where we were with these positive changes and kind of... Sounds um, like normal play testing. Add it in. back back to the new normal yeah yeah yeah. and that is that is i think kind of it um it it, one of the things i think it's highlighted for me that is a good tip to remind people is you can play test the heck out of a game with two two things i want to point out one and then i'll shut up uh one is that you can play test a game with your co-designer a thousand times that's not good enough when you bring mm-hmm. it to other people, sure. uh, you really you really run the risk of developing. Uh, you you become too good at the game and too into the game, and you need those outside opinions to help make you realize. I think I think one of the biggest things is you become too comfortable with the complexity of the game. Yeah, and so you when you show it vision. to a new person, right, then they're like, "Whoa, this is confusing." And you're like, "No, it's not. There's just fifty weird mm-hmm. rules." But because you've been playing the game for four months with those kind of with that growing complexity, you don't think about that. Right. Um, The exact same thing happened with fight sequence. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, no, that's no, that's a great point. Um, So the other part part is that really honing in on that playtesting, if you're going to do it with just with you and your co-designer, Michael and I, we really put the time in on the core communication mechanism of before the light dies and the biggest feedback we got from roscoe and jonathan that wasn't like hey this part feels weird was really just hey this core mechanism is awesome why aren't you highlighting it more why isn't this more of the game and it's Mm -hmm. because it was when we started and we tested the heck out of it to get it really really good and then we needed to add some things into the game but while we did that, we we kind of forgot that that was... I mean, we didn't forget. When we played it, we treated it as the core mechanism. But when you brought in new players, they didn't. And that was a problem because that's right. the most fun part of the game. Yeah. So thanks to that, we've now... It, it was an option you could take to do this communication. Now it is what determines what happens in the entire round. The first thing you have to do is communicate information. Gotcha. And that... Um, and that kind of spins everything because before it was you could choose an action as this or you could use your action for something else. But in the end, you did have to communicate or you'll lose. Um, and this just makes it not a decision point. You just do that. <laughs> and the decision is, how do I do that? Um, yeah, it is interesting with something like that, um, because, you know, with with uh, my co-designs with Eric, um, 
it's it's been kind of interesting seeing his playtesting process because obviously he's been doing this for over 20 years and um and it's a lot of the times it's just he explains the basic rules and then he lets people do whatever they want and mm-hmm. and then when they ask questions he's like what do you think should happen um and you know it's obviously not something that i've done before and and doesn't work all the time but uh it does kind of in, in your case uh where people don't even bring up the communication uh then, then that's something you know keep in mind because it, it, it should uh, uh normally come forward what's supposed to happen if it is kind of the main point of the game right mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. the players should naturally gravitate towards that that's a really good point and to talk about the if you do too many play tests yourself you get a kind mm-hmm. of tunnel vision and so it sounds like when, as soon as you were talking about like you reached this same weird point with multiple games i was like i bet you just over tested and got a little bit of tunnel vision because that definitely happened to mm-hmm. me and yeah. um there was a so, so I'm one of the moderators of Break My Game, and we have this thing mm-hmm. called Question of the Day, where people submit questions, then we'll we'll pick one and we'll, you know, put it in a channel for the community to discuss. And one of the recent ones, I forget if it was today or a couple days ago, someone asked, like, "Hey, I don't have a lot of time to play test, uh, but I consider my game to be in mid to late stage development. It's a multiplayer game. Do you have any strategies that you could give to me to like play test solo effectively?" And mm-hmm. Uh, like I was the first person to answer. There were a whole bunch of other people that answered. And we basically all said the same thing, which is no, not really. You have to get it in front of people. So you don't get that right, tunnel vision. Right. Yep. Like getting those different eyes on it is so important. Um, That's a really good point. And, and Julio, one of the things you said that jumped out at me with that was you mentioned, um, you said to see like, do they even do that part of the game? And that was what happened, except for they did the one part of the game like twice. And the feedback was, Hey, I wanted to do this more, but I was trying not to lose. So I did this other thing instead. So they're basically saying, that's fun. I want to do more of that, but you're not letting me because you're making the puzzle I have to solve to not lose the game or to win the game and to survive requires that I do this less. At least that's how they felt, which may or may not have. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I mean, it it, it is. uh, It is a good amount of feedback right because they're telling you what they enjoyed and what they didn't and what they expect more from the game and if it is something that does align with your uh with your i guess uh intention for the game or or Mm -hmm. your objective and goals and then yeah go that way but also listening to your your play testers is obviously important but there's also the part where uh you have to parse through that information as a designer Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. make sure Mm -hmm. that it does apply to what you ultimately want Yes, yeah, and yes, that yes. is that is one of the hardest things I think for new playtesters who are trying not to be precious about their games, right? Like um, when you have like because there are some new playtesters, new designers. I mean, designers, that okay. their game playtested. They're like, you give them feedback, and like, no, 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 no. I know what this game is. I don't. Your feedback is wrong. Um, there's that, right? Because they because they're new at it, and they and some people don't take feedback super well. But then there's also the people who are like, oh, these people know more than I do. I will take all of their feedback, right? Like I will, I remember when I was in high school and I was writing in like my creative writing class. And whenever somebody gave me feedback and said, reword this and gave me suggestions, I just took it. I was like, yeah, change, right. That's smart. And then like, <laughs> and then I'd read back, go back and reread it. And I'm like, I don't like this. Like, yeah. Why did I take their changes? Why did I not think about that and say, but you changed this this core thing and I didn't want that to change. And 
And those are the questions you have to ask yourself when you're taking yeah. the feedback. And I know this is something that we we harp on a lot, but it's it's important. And it's really important to know what you want your game to be. I'm a, as you all know, I'm a big idea guy, right? So <laughs> I'm, I'm the worst play tester in the sense. No, nah, I mean, not, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but whenever I play test, I always try to find, you know, ways to fix things that I think need fixing. Right. And yeah, I always give, uh, you know, hat on. yeah, right. Right. Um, but, and, but I always start my, my feedback with, you know, you take this with a good install, do whatever it, you want with it. Uh, and then I give kind of, of course, feedback of, of the game and, and a couple of things that I think could be better or something that could be added or removed and stuff like that. But, uh, always kind of tell that designer that, uh, Hey, this is kind of my view of it. Of course you can do what we, with it, with what you mm-hmm. want. Oh. Yeah. The moderation is the key. And that's mm-hmm. what I, and I, I, I was also, when I was a new designer, even when I was designing fight sequence at the start, uh, I took basically every change to heart, which led to, you know, slowdowns and delays in development because it was a sort of tug of war across all these different spectrums that I was doing. Yep. And I was having trouble finding the middle ground. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that just yeah, you can lose the game that you thought you had, right? Exactly. Or yeah, and it almost happened a couple times. Um, there's something that I wanted to double down on that I just I just love as a thought that I wanted to highlight, where Julio was talking about, you know, are the players naturally doing the cool thing that you want them to do? And right now, your solution is to just force them to do it, which is an effective plan like the the communication and before the light dies making them do it every turn is a very good way to get them to do it every turn because they have to um right but i'm wondering if you would consider trying a thing where you just try to make the systems naturally feed into it and see if you can get players to do it without them forcing to do it because i think that's like that's one of those things that you can use to like find the magic of a game where it's like, Mm -hmm. I know it's like, this is the magic of a game. How do I funnel people into it? And that's when like sparks fly. Not right. The only thing that is a thing that makes sparks fly. I think. Yeah, no, that, that is a really good point. And, and that is something we thought about. And really, I think the reason we chose the, it's not that we forced people to do it. I mean, we did, but what we (laughs) did was to force people to do it was we made it free right? It was something that had a cost. You had X number of actions in a turn and those actions reduced every turn. And that cost you one of your actions, which was, that's, that's a lot, you know, because the idea is the days are getting shorter. So you keep getting less and less time to do things. Yeah. So because of that, we, what we did was I say, force you to do it, but really what we're doing is we said it's free at the start of the round, you'll send a communication. Um, mm-hmm. Because you want, you always want to send a communication. We at first wanted you to have to make those tough choices of like, do I communicate this turn or do I do this other thing? And we, again, this was from our tunnel vision of us play testing. Mm-hmm. We knew the optimal strategy was to always communicate if you could, right? Mm-hmm. Other players uh, didn't see that. Like, and we saw that with more and more playtesters where they just wouldn't communicate because they thought they were going to die and they had to stay alive <laughs> so that they could be rescued and communicating didn't matter if they were going to freeze to death or run out of food. So, so that really was, we, we knew the magic of the game. Every feedback was always the communication is the best part. Gotcha. Uh, but then we made it so people couldn't do it. And that was, that was bad. Um, <laughs> it, and now by making it free, oh, sorry. 
Um, yeah. So it, it's not like a, oh, it's something that I heard Richard Launius talk about one time. And he said that he likes to let his players do whatever they want to, to Jamie. Yeah. Exactly what you're saying was I give them the system and I say, do what you want. Here's what you need to win, but do what you want to get there. And so he was playing some game and I don't remember what it was, but he was like, okay, I, I want to do this. And they said, yeah, you can do that. And he said, do I have to do this one thing? And they said, no, you don't have to do it. You can do it. It might be advantageous to do it. And he said, I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. Well, then at the end of the game, he's like, I lost like 20 points because I didn't do the thing. I didn't have to do it, but I took a penalty at the end, like an actual like physical penalty of like, mm -hmm. you lose points for not doing this. And he was like, and I was like, this is awful, right? Because that he's like, you can't tell a player do whatever you want and then penalize them for not doing the thing that you yeah. actually want them to do. He's like, make them do it and say, you have to do this or actually let them do what they want and go oh. the opposite direction. Right. And I, I thought that was, <laughs> I've always remembered that of like, there shouldn't be any like, well, you can do this but later it's going to be awful unless that's explicit when you do it. Cause I mean, right. sometimes there's the trade-off mechanic. Yeah, it's like, it's like the whole multiple paths to victory, right? Like yes, when you have yes. multiple paths to victory, but there's always clearly one that's better than the others. And why are right. the others right. exist? Right. Yeah. And the that's what he was that saying actually... was why does that exist? If it's not, if it's not usable, right? Yeah. The thing that, it, that calls to mind for me is Agricola. You've played Agricola, right? Have you? Uh, uh, yeah. Yes. I have long time ago. Well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so for as a brief reminder, and for anyone who hasn't played Agricola, is uh, one of the very, very popular games by Uwe Rosenberg. I'm probably probably mispronouncing his name, but he's designed 80 million games. Very talented designer. Agricola is one of the most popular. You're you're all farmers. You're running a farm, so you do farm things such as raise cattle and sheep and farm wheat and do all this other stuff. Um, and you, at the end of the game, everything that you didn't do, you lose points on. And then there are like tiers of points where it's like, I have this many sheep, I get two points. I have this many more sheep, I get four points instead or something like that. And so you can't do everything because you mm -hmm. can't run a farm that efficiently. So you have to make those trade-offs are of, am I going to get max points in sheep but lose six points because half my fields are empty? Or am I going to do a mix of both and stuff like that? But it's that's kind of like the entire scaffolding of the game but outside of situations like that i do agree with richard's sentiment uh, um yeah and, and i feel like at this point we've gone through the rabbit hole of of the play testing of jason's game so uh and, this is and for a us for, though around this yeah like, yeah this... it is it is uh but for the builders out there that that is not our topic for today so that's but it's been a great <laughs> Surprise start for bonus sure. topic so that's what happens when i have y'all on together is we just talk about a bunch of stuff <laughs> so we both that had is our the I, longest I tangent on I've ever had Julio go on, thanks to Jamie. <laughs> wow! <laughs> no, We're it's fine. It's fine. We're seeing the having Julio but, with the, with a guest. But we'll let you talk a little bit more, Jamie. So, what's what's been going on with you? What has been going on with me, like in game design world? So, I, mean, I or just in general, whatever. it's your time. You can talk about whatever you want. Oh my, oh my goodness! <laughs> well, yeah, I haven't been on in a while. In between last time and now, I got a part time job, so I've been reacclimating to the life of I'm not just at my desk full time and I feel like I'm a person out in the world again. It's very weird. I'm interacting with humans face to face. It's very strange. Um, What's that about? I know it's odd. I don't understand it. Um, but no, my job is great. My bosses are great. It's the first time I've had great bosses. Very cool. We got off for Juneteenth, which is very cool. Love that. Very um, cool. 
yeah, in game design world, I, you know, in my in the past couple months, I was acclimating to the job. I didn't do a ton of work on fight sequence, but the past couple of weeks, I've been really ramping it up. Um, I'm still waiting to hear back from the one publisher that has it. I might pitch to more. I might not. Um, but I have been doing a lot more like I'm, I'm I've started refreshing my memory on all the things I need to know to launch for Kickstarter um, while I wait for the graphic design and stuff. And I'm just in Good. in this weird rabbit hole wormhole of like there are like 70 different ways I can word this one thing. Is that how I solve the issue of players never understanding this one thing the first time they read it? What do I do? Oh my God. And it's just like all this weird little nitty gritty stuff that I'm, I've been putting off if I'm being honest. And now I'm, now I'm here, but it's very exciting to just like be chin deep in my game again. It feels so great. And I don't know why I stopped. <laughs> well, it's always good to sometimes take a break, right? And and just come oh, yeah. back with a fresh set of um, fresh minds, fresh set of eyes, everything. Oh yeah, I'm an I'm a huge proponent of letting your subconscious do as much work as possible. And so it's like if you're if you're feeling burnt out, you you're trying to think of a game, you can't solve a solution. Go go for a walk. Go watch a movie. Go do literally anything else. When I was uh, when I was taking improv classes, this is something that my improv instructors drilled into me. A lot of people going through improv classes they're very new ex inexperienced they're not confident yet they're like how do i get better at improv and the teachers say do literally anything other than improv that's how you get better at improv and i feel the same way about game design music any sort of creative thing well, writing music there's a certain thing about like muscle memory and music but that's that's a different path um <laughs> but yeah so you know taking a couple months of just like doing very very light work Definitely helped, like it does all the time. Long cool. story short, I agree with you 100%. Take <laughs> breaks. Don't feel like you have to keep going like a train nonstop because that's not healthy or effective. I agree. And uh, on that note, you know, on, on my side of things, I've actually also kind of been taking, uh, you know, I, I would say a break, but there's a lot of things that have been going on. So um, the I, I did get my, my laser cutter delivered a couple like two months ago a month and a half ago and i've been messing around with it a lot and it feels like uh like you know what, what when, we, when i got first got my 3d printer it's such a cool machine that you can uh change settings a lot and and you know change the intensity of the laser and the speed of which it cuts so you can actually cut paper with the laser without burning it say um, what Yes, that's cool. That's it's, cool. That, is, <laughs> that would have got me to buy it right there if I'd realized that. That's amazing. It, it is. It is. And scissors. I, <laughs> I mean, and it still is is faster to cut it with the scissors, obviously, because you have to set, you know, right, put it in the thing and then put the program and stuff like that. Of course, you can have preset, uh, you know, lines and stuff like that already, and that you can save. But things like uh, I've I've cut tokens and I've cut. Uh, uh, player boards and for that you know you've seen like people cutting like wood and stuff like that but for this one I use my printed labels that are paper I put it on the chipboard and it cuts the chipboard just as well you just have to adjust the intensity so it doesn't burn and I have a mm. good player board and and and, uh, and tokens that I normally cut with an exacto knife and or my brother's cannon cut so Dealing around with that has been a lot of fun. Even, you know, it does engraving uh, and stuff like that. And, and I've, I've been using it to do some, you know, little presents for the family here and there. Oh some custom-made stuff on wood. 
um it's so but cool. it's it is it is and you know this is an it's called the x tool m1 and i in i backed the kickstarter um so when i backed it with shipping and all the other stuff because i got the 10 watt version deluxe with some material and stuff it was a little over a thousand dollars like a eleven hundred dollars or something so and you know for a laser cutter that's cheap uh you know you there's there's some you know the glow forge and stuff like that those are between thirty five hundred and five thousand dollars so it's oh wow yikes it is <laughs> yeah, I, I i yeah it's definitely and that's one of the reasons why i didn't never really consider one but it was kind of at a price range where i could afford it and i thought it was going to be a good tool to have for for my design and it has so at this point nice. it has I, I see not just for me, but, you know, for, you know, my wife as well. She she's a professional photographer and she does whenever she sends her clients photos, uh, she sends USBs and stuff like that. And now I'm engraving her USBs with her logo and stuff like that. Little Ooh. things like that. It's just it adds uh, a little extra to everything for sure. Um, so that's been cool to mess around with uh, tool wise. I've um, on a personal note, I have uh, our our second child is due July 18th. Oh my um, gosh. But uh, my wife went to the doctor yesterday and uh, the doctor said that the baby may not last that long. So we're kind of uh, alert level one. Um, so <laughs> you may have to leave during this podcast. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. If you may, do, this may. podcast will be called Julio Lee's Halfway Through. So, nice. Spoiler alert if the podcast is called that, you know what happened. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, obviously it's super exciting. We've already gone through this, uh, you know, once and it was, you know, our, our son is currently 17 months old. So we're going to have two under two. That's going to be a lot of fun. And and, and I, you know, I. <laughs> right, right. Um, and, and I know it's, it's, it's definitely it's going to be a lot of time and I'm going to enjoy every second of it, but I'm going to be a lot of very tired along the way. Um, out of that whole process is where uh, Bori Ken came from. So, you know, that that was ultimately a good thing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so so that's, you know, something exciting uh, that I'm looking forward to. Um, also, about maybe a month ago, I I was it was announced that I was a finalist on the Diana Jones Award uh, Emergence emergent designer program so the diana jones award is a is a design game design award that's been around for like 30 years and they started this uh emergent designer program in the past maybe 10 10 to 5 to 10 years or so um and i was nominated and you know that nomination process there's some voting involved uh by the people in in that uh program and i was a finalist and then a winner was announced um, but it was, it was a cool thing to be a part of, uh, and I'm glad that I was a part of it and it, you know, it, something cool, uh, for sure. That's um, so awesome. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Heck yeah. Yeah. And, and ultimately I've, I've honestly been dealing with, uh, doing some pitching on existing games that I have ready. You know, I have a lot of those, so kind of focusing on, on getting those games pitched and, getting more organized, um, you know, you know, uh, uh, physically organized, like all my, uh, my prototyping stuff. And I, I just had a mess that I had to deal with and, and mm -hmm. I was able to 
just clear all that all the old prototypes that I didn't use. I had a lot of sleeves there. I just took everything, all the sleeves out and and saved them and threw the prototypes out because I knew I was never gonna use them again. They're um, valuable like gold. Those sleeves <laughs> for for us yeah, designers. I know exactly. They really are. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. I probably got about maybe 600 uh, sleeves from it because I had so many, so much stuff. <laughs> It's funny that you say 600. So my very first design, like many players, many designers first design, way overcomplicated. So many systems. It was like a it was a dungeon crawling deck builder. Uh and it has so many cards, so many decks, so many characters. I made so many characters. Very good design homework, very large waste of resources. That game alone is in what is called in the magic community a monster box which is four rows that each hold 12 to 1500 sleeved cards and the monster box is almost full. So when what? I find that game, I will find about uh, like almost somewhere between 4000 and 4500 matching black sleeves. And I am desperate to find them for my fight sequence characters because And how have you lost sleeves. this thing? That's that's huge. <laughs> It's not that it's lost per se, it's that it wound up in a larger box when I moved in a hurry one time, and I've yet to resurface the box because I'm very, very <laughs> bad at unpacking things that are not in my immediate vicinity. So I have like 18 <laughs> boxes in the basement still, despite the fact that I moved into this place almost a year ago. But don't judge me, because I'm already doing it enough. <laughs> no no worries, no worries. You, you, Judgment-free zone. Uh, you do what you gotta do. Um, but to finish things off, I've also kind of been doing some some development uh, related stuff to to some of the games that I've you know signed and got coming up uh, soon and even next year. So that's that's been uh, you know it's been an interesting process. Um, but that does lead us into our topic. Oh, yeah, Coolio We're with the smooth here. transitions. We love that. <laughs> And that was such a good well, transition voice too. It was a smooth transition and a smooth voice for the transition. It's what you both does. you both killed it right there. Is killed it. Uh, it's no, what but... we do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're just doing what we all do here, right, Julio? We're all just uh, playing sh- our parts. You sure thought it was do, bad when sure there do. was one of me. Now there's two of us oh, causing Lord. mayhem for you. Yeah, it, we'll we'll get through it. No worries. Um, so our topic for for tonight is is really because uh, you know with me working on development and working with a publisher on on getting a lot of stuff together for Kickstarter, especially on my uh, game Peanut Butter Belly Time, um, and and also uh, some other games that I've that I've gonna uh, that are coming up soon. I've been getting. Uh, emails from publishers about you know getting feedback on the things as they are coming along which has been interesting uh, and cool of course you know getting getting giving feedback without having the the responsibility of of doing the things Um, (laughs) you get the easiest job (laughs) yeah yeah uh so and i know that you know obviously jamie you've been working on fight sequence and you've been getting preparing to get a kickstarter ready for for that game mm-hmm. um and and of course jason has had uh kickstarters in the past and also has been working on on some games uh, as well that are looking to crowdfund is that correct that is very correct at some point i think it's i think it's a slow race between jamie and i 
<laughs> one of us eventually launches a Kickstarter first. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but I'm kidding. It's we're, not a We're going to launch them on the same day and it's going to be. <laughs> we should probably awesome. keep talking to make sure we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially what I wanted to do is uh, I just wanted to talk about the, the things that you have to do to get a game ready for Kickstarter, but honestly also kind of the misconceptions and, and anything negative out of it as well, because that's mm. what I like to bring forward. Of oh, course. I love it. Oh, I, I have so many thoughts on Kickstarter. Oh, Not, there you go. Well, well, I mean, kick, less the crowdfunding and, and more right. the more the yeah. Sorry, what I mean to say is the process of crowdfunding a game. I have many thoughts on the presentation of a of a game to be crowdfunded and stuff like that. Well, and then I want to give uh, a then quick. You'll start. Oh, oh sorry. I was say I want to give a quick plug to a couple episodes back when I had Tim and Kristen Devine on, and we talked about stress-free kickstarters uh and so that is not what we're talking about tonight we're going to be talking about the stressful kind which is most of them (laughs) yes Uh, and by the way for anybody who wasn't following along with that kickstarter they asked for 300 bucks they ended up with over seven thousand. oh that's awesome they crushed it yeah uh and that's so i'm I'm very happy for that so cool i'll have to go listen to that episode yeah it's a good one it's a tim and kristen are they are um, super smart and really creative and they're awesome so you're saying people. you don't listen to all the episodes, Jamie? I listen. <laughs> you don't have to. It's not in the contract. I mean, it is. I... You're fired, but. <laughs> Damn it. I'm pretty sure I've said this on the podcast. And then you before. swore. I Damn it is not a swear. It's barely a swear. I've heard five-year-olds say damn it and not get reprimanded. It's fine. So I believe I have said this on air before. I I struggle a lot with the. With, uh, mediums where i have to listen to a thing or or watch a thing unless it's animated but like listening to a podcast is usually tough for me i make the exception if i'm in the episode so i've listened to every single episode of every podcast that i've been in and very few those are literally the ones that i don't want to listen to the ones you're in no the ones that i'm in is what i mean and i'm forced to every week and i don't i don't enjoy that um well Oh, so let's good. let's get back on topic because we've we've <laughs> we're, we're, we're maybe running long. Um, yeah. So Jamie, since you've got a lot of stuff to talk about, you want to start? Sure. I there are many what are seen as best practices or almost mandatory in crowd in the crowdfunding of a game that I have a strong distaste and disagreement for, and it's been really interesting. Hearing, you know, because I'm doing a lot of playtesting on the online servers in person whenever I can, even at conventions, people ask me what my plans are. I'm doing crowdfunding. When I tell them I'm doing crowdfunding, I get so many suggestions for things that I'm not even considering doing because I want a stress-free Kickstarter. I want want a Kickstarter (laughs) to be as stress-free as possible. It's going to be my first Kickstarter. I want to, A, make it as foolproof as I can mistake proof as I can. Obviously, I will have so many random things to deal with, but I want to make it as easy as possible for me, and I want to make it as accessible as possible for other people while still making a product, right? Because I can make it super accessible where it's like, I put a print and play up online for free, but I want to like actually make a product and be in stores and start a brand, basically. Good news, start- if you do that, you don't have to put it on Kickstarter. That's the ultimate stress-free Kickstarter is when you don't right, put it on Kickstarter. Go to retail, yeah. <laughs> um, and so- Retail are- is more like it. Ooh, you are going to give it away for free. It's not retail, it's free tail. I just made that up. There it is. Basically, oh, I'm a marketing right. genius. Yeah, yeah, trademarked. 
Um, so, so uh, there are a bunch of things people keep suggesting or talking about where it's like, yeah, I'm going to be on Kickstarter. And they're like, oh, what are your add-ons going to be? What are your stretch goals going to be? How are you going to basically con people into giving you more money uh, and promoting your stuff in social media and all this other stuff? I, I have a lot of opinions about it. If <laughs> the I despise FOMO. I do not want to capitalize on FOMO. I think it is a gross psychological tool to inflict on other people. I don't want FOMO to happen in my campaign at all. There will be no Kickstarter exclusive. So this is the plan. We'll see how successful it is in the future. But the plan is don't have any FOMO. Don't have any Kickstarter exclusives. Only have Kickstarter in advance things. Um, I'm not totally against add-ons but I don't want them in my first campaign because I don't want to have to deal with the logistics of making and fact-checking and shipping all these different things. I just want to worry about the game. But the FOMO is really the thing. Like, here's an example. Uh, Eric Lang, incredible designer. My friend Matt, one of my best board game friends, he has many Eric Lang games, and he loves Blood Rage so much. It's his favorite game. He was so excited about Rising Sun. He backed Rising Sun at the top level to get all the fancy things. And he has the big, I forget the brand name, but he has the big giant like engraved custom bespoke wooden box that is a giant chest that fits all of Rising Sun. He has this amazing thick play mat. And we played once and I was like, I, this game is very cool. I definitely want to play it again. If I want to buy this game, how do I get all this extra stuff? And he's like, oh, the play mat and the wooden box and all this other stuff, they're all Kickstarter exclusive. And I immediately said, I will never buy this game because that upsets me that if I love a game so much, I will never be able to get the thing that these people who backed the Kickstarter at this top level did. It's can I, Oh yeah. Can I make a counterpoint to that? Counterpoint. Um, so I want to start off by saying I also hate FOMO uh, yeah. as a person who's a bit of a collector uh, and a person who lives with OCD. FOMO is really hard for me. Like I, I see 10 Kickstarters a day that I want to back uh, <laughs> and I don't back most of them, but like, it's mostly because I have to say to myself, don't back this game, come back in an hour, come back tomorrow. And then usually at that point, I don't care. But, mm -hmm. but the, so I, I hate FOMO. That said a couple things. One, uh, speaking of that jerk, Eric Lang, and oh. his FOMO stuff. No, I love Eric. Um, but no, uh, I'm a huge fan of Marvel United. I have spent way too much money on Marvel United and gotten way too many Kickstarter exclusives. And here's the opposite side of that, right? Now, I'm not going to say that Simon didn't do that because it's a license to print money because they're a business and that, that had to be one of the reasons they did it, right? Right. But here's the deal. And the same goes with this Blood Rage thing you're talking about, which I, I've heard of but uh, never I played. Yeah. So, like, you can't put that in retail. No one is going to buy that in retail. Well, that's not true. Some people will buy that in retail, but most people won't buy that in retail. But what Kickstarter allows you to do is to, like, for instance, Marvel United, I have over, like, 150 minis or 200 minis with that Jeez. of different characters and stuff. What? It's a lot of minis. <laughs> it is. And I love it because they're all unique characters. They all have different abilities. They're super cool. And I like that, right? Because I'm really into it. But if they put that in the store, no one would buy it. Or very few people would buy it. Um, by doing it on Kickstarter, it allows them to give people what they want. 
um, at the cost of FOMO, right? For others. And and one of the things that I give to them that they 100% do to combat that, and if it was Simon that did that did blood 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 rage sun Rest oil, sun. um yeah. <laughs> if it was them, um if it was them, what they do is you can donate anything you want to get into the man the pro the uh um project manager so right. that, uh, the pledge manager so it's that afterwards so that you don't have enough money right now you could pop in afterwards and you can add on more stuff you can get more things so yeah well i think right and i do think i do think that a lot of companies are doing that to make money and simon is probably one of them yes but as a consumer i got something that i would never get in another way that i love my family loves uh, I paid way too much money for it. And I, I don't <laughs> care because I mean it's fairly affordable, right? Because if you think of of the price of something like that, like that chess and that playmat, uh, after the fact, obviously not not buying it uh, secondhand, uh, it would be very 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 expensive. And and it does obviously it's a feel bad moment that you found out about this game after it came out, uh, mm-hmm. and then you're really excited about getting it. But one thing that's important here. And at least for for the Rising Sun one, is that the add-ons are not essential for the you know obviously it makes the game experience look better, uh, but you know the playmat and the box is not really essential to the gameplay. Oh sure, um, that's um, not so, what FOMO so, preys on usually. Oh, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Please continue. <laughs> no, no, no worries, no worries. So it, I do see your your point, and it is something that uh you know it's it is a marketing tool there, and we respect your decision to to not use it. Um, and 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 I think uh, there are other ways of of you know being successful in this crowdfunding yeah. space. Now, one thing for sure on 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 my side of things is that um it, it this whole preparing. For for a Kickstarter is it, and I know it used to be much simpler than it yes. is now. That's for sure. I mean, you we just talked about Simon as a company, and I know Exploding Kittens had a Kickstarter not long ago, and all these established companies that have games on on retail, Target, and and all of that, they're using kick, you know Kickstarter or crowdfunding as a as a marketing tool, right? Because they have uh, an audience that goes there. And buys games, and the, it's an established audience. Uh, now, as a new person, because we would, I would say, all of us uh, in on my side, you know, the the company that's going to be publishing Peanut Butter Belly Time, it's a new company to the to the gaming space. Uh, so, kind of finding your audience and and making sure that that audience uh, is linked to your game and, and what, whenever you're going to be, uh, publishing, it's kind of the hard part. It's just building that audience or, or connecting that audience. And also, I mean, (laughs) there's, there's so much you can do for sure. I mean, one of them, as we all know, it's, it's getting out there and taking your game to as many places as you can and start getting your, you know, um, um, email list and all that, you know, that you've heard that a lot of times before, but mm-hmm. one thing we don't really hear about is how expensive this all is. Um, and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> especially I mean, to tack on something real quick. Cause you mentioned briefly, it used to be a lot simpler to prep for a Kickstarter. Long ago are the days where someone with just gumption and a dream could put the images of their prototype up on Kickstarter and expect to get backers. Um, 
crowdfunding yeah. has morphed into it has to look more and more like a finished product, which is yeah. I was I, I was definitely anyway, going to get into that because is, it it does fall into the whole yeah. pricing thing. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. also good and bad. I think there are positives and negatives to that yes. as well because it stops people from just putting up an idea. I mean, we know as game designers, like I, I, how many times do we see somebody say, I've got this idea and I'm going to, and I'm going to kickstart it. I'm going to crowdfund it. I'm do all this stuff. Right. And like, you are one of those people, except for the difference is when I listen to you talk about it, I'm like, well, they did a lot of research and they know their stuff. Right. But most people I hear like talk about making their game and wanting to do all this stuff. I'm like, that's not, they're like it, the chances of them succeeding at that are very, very low. Um, because they're not prepared for what it is. Right. And that sucks if people back it and then you don't fulfill it. Right. And obviously with you, I know you're going to fulfill it because you want to have a business and you want to do this stuff right. And you're organized. Um, no pressure. And and people did get burned in the beginning. Right. With that stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Good and bad. I think, I mean, just like FOMO is good and bad. Very bad for me because I'm very similar to Jason, except I don't have the money to even be the collector, but I really want to be. <laughs> and again, the money, going back to the money, it is it is going to be important on regardless of what you're going to crowdfund, right? Um, mm-hmm. And the the amount of funds that you need to, to get everything ready, we're talking about art, we're talking about uh, graphic design on yes. the Kickstarter, we're talking about previews. I mean, yep. that's something that we can get into now, but uh, throughout this whole process, I've kind of been helping the publisher contact people in the industry um, that I, you know, I made contacts in the past to, you know, get previews done for the game ahead of the Kickstarter to get how to play videos and stuff like that. And of course, if there are people that, you know, they're fairly new and they want to, you know, do it for free, you can't be asking people to do that, right? That's not something that you ask. Here's people- what I found. Right. Oops, sorry. Uh, people come come to you, uh, <laughs> and and uh, people come to you, and and they they would request stuff like that. Um. So so in in in, in this case, you know, I'm just kind of going through, and I'm saying numbers, right? But uh, you know, reaching out to different previewers and how to play videos and stuff like that, it goes from as low as you know two hundred and fifty dollars to as high as five thousand dollars, and of course. When you're trying to reach an audience, uh, it the higher the you know the subscriber count is always a thing, right? You know that that's that tells you at least a number of how many they c- may be able to reach. But ultimately, yeah. is it your audience for the game, right? Because it's very different. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. So um, I mean that that has been uh, uh interesting to to deal with and of course i'm not the person paying for any of this stuff but uh, <laughs> I, I, when i spending money julio no no <laughs> but it is interesting because one thing i proposed to this publisher was that you know let's let me just show you what i can do as a project manager on this and and then we can decide to move forward if we want and and you know and i uh, and I was kind of making sure to take this all, all this information. I'm not committing to anything. I'm just getting the information organized and and showing it to the publisher to make sure, hey, uh, this is what's uh, available. The people that have responded, how long did it take to respond? Because that's important as well. You know, we're talking about a Kickstarter that it's kind of, you know, fourth quarter, you know, late third quarter this mm-hmm. year. Uh, so getting things a- ahead of time you know, because they require their time to, you know, learn the rules and make a video. And of course they have stuff in the pipeline already. Um, so the whole project management side of things 
it is essential. And of course, when you're the only one doing everything, you you stick to your own timeline. Uh, and and I, mm-hmm. from what I've kind of experienced, don't put yourself in the situation where you're like, I'm the Kickstarter is going to be on October 10th. And uh, I'm going to make that happen because there's, especially for your first time, things are going to come up and things that you did not expect, uh, especially, you know, obviously in the last two years, everything that's happened related yeah. to COVID and, and shipping and, yeah, and like shipping that. and all that stuff. Yeah. Woof. You had <laughs> publishers that are really good at what they do and giving really bad news every day to the people. Yeah. And people being unrealistic and upset about it, even though the publishers did, could not have done anything to fix it, which is another fun aspect of Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, they were dark days for sure. Still are. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just kind of closing my point on, on the money side of things, you know, yes. don't underestimate how much money, especially if you, I mean, if you want to make, it, it depends on what your objective is, right? Do you just want to print a hundred copies of this game and, and, and Hey, all power to you, go ahead and, and do it, do a, you know, yeah, yeah. a $2,000 goal. And, and, and you, if you make it there and even more, that's even awesome, right? Even more awesome. But yeah. as designers, we definitely, at least speaking from my point of view, I definitely want something to be successful in, in the sense of, of, of the war, especially since I've gotten games signed and published and there's been some success on that side. So I want to keep that momentum going. Yeah, I'm really glad you ended with that note, because what success means to a designer is very specific to the designer. And to yes. some people, success means go gangbusters. It explodes in popularity. It's going to be in retail. I'm getting as many backers as possible, all that stuff. And to some, success might be make 100. It might be. I mean, even, mm-hmm. you know, someone in the Discord, uh, our friend Micah, uh, one of her games, she's like, my goal is to maybe make 15, like make the game for my family and some friends. And that Mm -hmm. is what I will consider for this game. And that's awesome. I mean, that's not what I'm aiming for with fight sequence. I'm aiming much higher. Um, But it's, it's important to know that all of everything when it comes to Kickstarter, all the monetary costs, all the time costs, all the stress, how you set it up, what you do, do you, tap into FOMO? Do you tap into other marketing strategies? Do you pay people to market, to preview, to review, all that other stuff? All of it stems from what your goals are. And that's a really important contextual informational piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 uh, on my side of things with, with this game, it was an interesting development because I, I uh, was talking with the artists uh, at the time and trying to get the files to get the prototypes copy copies through the game crafter. And, Mm -hmm. and we were able to do that in the time that the, the, the publisher wanted and, and got them uh, printed. And, and this, this interesting thing happened because I think it it, don't underestimate when you are working with multiple people, how people react to certain things. Um, And, and Mm -hmm. this is a a good story to tell um, because the game crafter, um, when you are ordering prototype copies, is this is your first time after you know getting all the files for a game? Um, it will not let you make an order over two hundred and fifty dollars, um, and uh, because oh. they want you to, they want you to yeah. proof your game. Yeah. They want to make sure that mm-hmm. you, yeah. the game that you order is what you want, um, and that's what I told the publisher, and and they said. We trust you. We we order thirty copies, and we'll use these for the previews and stuff like that. And when I made try to make the thirty copy order, it didn't let me. So I said, "Hey, um, 
it, the system didn't let me for the same reason I said. Uh, so I'll just order like the three for me because I was gonna order thirty for them and three for me for for doing some blind play testing and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ordered the three for me to to do the the proof uh, uh, copy. And it was gonna take uh, even with the urgent, it was gonna take like uh, seven to nine days or something. Um, and as it, we were getting closer to that, the they the whole limit to the two hundred and fifty dollars expired. And the publisher guy asked me to, hey, can you can you order the thirty copies? And I said, do you, don't you want me to check if everything's good? Uh, and and that kind of spawned this whole thing of uh, they. I guess they they thought that I was taking too much control of the project because of oh, that whole reason. And, and and here's the thing. I mean, it is something that is important for you to when you're working with somebody to set expectations early on. Yes. Uh, uh, about 100%. how things are gonna go, and again, I I miscon- had a misconception of of what he was expecting of me, and and that kind of ended up being you know uh, he told me well you know you're doing a good job but I just want to manage it and 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 I honestly at first I was a little uh, you know sad because of it because uh, I thought I was doing a good job and I and I know I was, um, but after yeah. that. How it was like a breath of fresh air <laughs> because uh, yeah. I know that they're going to do well by their product. And, and it, even though they're new, I think they're at this point, especially with my involvement early on, they've got a grasp on things. Um, Very cool. But yeah, having so, those expectations and having that chemistry is really important. Yeah. And, and the chemistry is there again, there's not, no bad feelings or anything. Um, and, and ultimately, right. I'm, I'm the designer of the project and, and I, you know, I'm going to get my royalties regardless. Right. Uh, but I thought it, it, it was going to be a good learning opportunity. No, Eyes I, on the prize, Julio. I'm going to get my money. <laughs> no, but, but it all in I, perspective I, is important. No, exactly. And, and my objective <laughs> was that I wanted to learn about the process, uh, especially because these people in reality, they, they were less experienced than I was, even if they, if I hadn't done a Kickstarter in the past, at least I had game designs. I, I had games on Kickstarter before as well. Um, and, and I think it, it, it they, they're going to do right by it. And, and even everything that I started uh, early on is still on track to happen um, when it comes to the Kickstarter. So, cool. so it, it, it is, you know, this is when working with multiple people and you will, because you're going to hire people to do things because there's, yes. you can't do everything. I mean, at hire least with a graphic artist, right? designer. Right. That is my number one advice. Not even you don't even have to make it. Just hire one for your life. It's just it's real convenient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hire, yeah. Just have a high, have a graphic designer on retainer. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's important. I mentioned one, one of the best. Sorry, sorry. Last last thing on hiring right. people. The the one that I think is the best hiring that we did was the rules editor. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't because... underestimate the rules editor. You have to have a rules editor. You have to have a rules editor. I'm going to say you have to have a rules editor. And and our rules editor is very experienced and, and they really, their prices are, you know, are, are very affordable. It's one thing that you're going to spend money on is that. Yeah. I let me know if you think this is a hot take. I almost agree. I think rules editor is number two. I think graphic designer is number one because rules editor you have some other if if you have a bad rule book, there are some other options to learn the game. You can learn the game from a friend. You can learn the game from a video. You can learn the game from the forums. It's not ideal, but those options do exist. If you have bad graphic design, 
the product is unusable. It is literally like mandatory that you have usability in your graphic design or the game cannot be understood and played. So I, I think for your, I, I think you're totally right, but I do think for your average user of the game, they're not going to go to the forums and stuff. They're just right. going to be pissed and never play your game again. Right. Exactly. I think that both of these things are crucial, but a subset of players will have outs to a bad rule book, but right. nobody I mean, will have an out yeah. to bad graphic design. And my 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 agreement with you comes too from the idea that like if the game doesn't look good, no one's gonna buy it anyways. So your <laughs> rulebook might as well not be. If you have a polished rulebook but your game looks like junk, people aren't gonna see that it's. It could be the best game in the world if it looks bad. It's not gonna get as much attention as it could if it looked good. Yeah. So, well, one thing uh, uh, that uh, on that take for me is, um, on 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 our game we obviously hired an artist for all the art uh and and honestly this artist had a lot of good uh, experience and was very talented on the graphic design side of things mm -hmm. uh and that was something that we considered before hiring an artist right um and and we hired the same the artist for both things and it, it turned out as a great thing, of course, you have to make sure to vet that whole pro that whole that person yep. uh, be before you do something like that, because they'll tell you yes, because they want the job or something along those lines. But uh, you got to make sure to see that that's what you want. And of course, you know, as as designers, you know, hopefully as you gain experience and, and uh, through the whole process, you you can get a good view on on the graphic design side of things. I mean, that is something that um I've learned a lot about. I'm not good at it, uh, but I have gotten better, uh, right. and and at least it's, better, good enough that you can hire somebody that's better than you. Yeah, right, right. I I did the same thing when I was early on in fight sequence. I was like, I'm going to do all the graphic design myself, and then my first session <laughs> in the tabletop mentorship program, session number one, I was like, cool. I need to polish the graphic design. I want to get mentored on graphic design immediately. The, my graphic designer mentor was like, mm, hire a graphic designer. And I said, oh. <laughs> and she was like, here's all these reasons why. And I said, ah, I understand. And it's and funny she was that, like, your mentorship is over. Goodbye. <laughs> I, kind of. No, I'm kidding. Um, she's lovely. I, I believe she's been on the podcast, Gwen Rule of uh, uh, Fire Tower, Runaway Parade Games. She was my mentor in my first uh, mentorship. Awesome. Program. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Um, lots of great tips. But it's funny that you mentioned specifically hiring an artist graphic designer combo because i specifically did the opposite and hired a separate artist and separate and that's designer. fine too yeah. yeah yeah they both are valid paths but go getting into the differences i think is an entire separate episode of the podcast <laughs> yeah for yeah, sure I think there are ahead, valid yeah. reasons to do both and i think exactly, that yeah. uh if you talk to a graphic designer or an artist or another publisher uh they will be able to tell you why it's yeah. there. There are two valid reasons to make either decision. Yeah, absolutely. The, the one sentence version is the scope of the project will determine whether you want the one or the two as a major. And I, would, I would argue the style of the project as well. Also that. Yeah. Um, I mentioned a Kickstarter that I think that I mentioned a Kickstarter that bummed me out. I want to give an example of a Kickstarter that did the opposite that I'm using as like my gold star standard model to model my own Kickstarter after. Um, I'm not going to do it specifically because I do have a stretch goal and stuff like that, but there's a game Rift Force 
that is my one of my favorite games ever and my favorite game that I've gotten from Kickstarter so far. The Rift Force campaign launched and they were like, hey, uh, we don't have any stretch goals or add-ons. We want to make the game as good as it can be from the get-go. So here's the deal. We have two tiers. It's get one copy of the game or get two copies of the game. And you save a little on shipping if you get two copies of the game. And then they add the $1 tier, of course. And that's literally all they did. And the game went gangbusters. No add-ons, no stretch goals, no FOMO. Nothing nothing like that. To the point where they sent an email a couple months ago saying, hey, uh, the second, the first expansion is done and we're not even going to Kickstarter. It's going straight to retail. Uh, have fun. So one one it, thing that I, I want to throw out there, if I can, about that, because I agree with you that it sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, is somebody once told me a long time ago when I did my first Kickstarter and this was really good advice. And it, frankly, without it, my Kickstarter wouldn't have funded, which is, well, I agree that you don't need to have 20 add ons unless you're a publisher that already has 20 games and then put them as add ons, because if you right, can right. sell two games to someone, that's great. And, yep. you know, they usually save money on shipping. Everybody wins. But um, the one thing I'll point out is that th this person said to me, when you do a Kickstarter, some people are going to want to give you more money. Yeah, They are going to say, Jamie, this project looks good. I want to give you more of my money. Now, they could just give you more money by saying, I'm going to pledge $500 for your $50 game. Ooh. But they're not likely to do that. But if you say, hey, you could get this, you could get some art done, or you could get this thing, or you could get this extra piece. If you pay more, there are people that will do that because they want to support your game. Right. So, so they basically said, make it so that if people want to give you more money, they can. Yeah. Um, and, and I did an art level with mine where actually I basically saved a section of my there was kids in the art because it was a water balloon game i saved mm -hmm. a section for diversity to ensure that i had a lot of diversity inclusion i had a lot of different kids of a lot of different types and mm -hmm. then i said hey these seven slots are open and if you want to pay x i think it was like 75 bucks it wasn't it wasn't a ton then right. your kid can be in the game and uh, and then I just looked at what we got and made sure to fill the rest of the game out in a way that made the cast very diverse. And um, yeah, and that worked great because all of those slots sold because people I knew or people who I didn't know but believed in the game wanted to do that. So I think that's just worth pointing out that giving mm -hmm. people a way to do that is is good. There's nothing wrong yeah. with that. And, and, and you know, on the FOMO side of things, right, if you don't want to incite people on the FOMO side, then, then provide something that is not really necessary to the game or even unrelated to the game. So uh, on the on the peanut butter belly time game, one thing we're considering, and they're looking into it, if you didn't know, uh, one of the Kickstarter categories is actually food. Um, mm. And this is a peanut butter company. So what we... Are, well, they are considering at this point, right? Uh, they are considering is is doing a, like a 32-ounce peanut butter jar that's specific to the game. So that's the only per, per, uh, place where you can buy it through the Kickstarter. <laughs> that is the craziest add-on ever. I love that. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and what's best about it is that once you're finished with that 32-ounce jar, you can actually save the game, put the game in there, and oh, have it as your container. Oh, my 
God. Then you're going to smell like peanut butter too. I love that. That's incredible. I, so I live a town away from the world's best peanut butter factory. The factory for the world's best peanut butter. I stand by that. And they sell these 16 ounce jars of peanut butter. And I've, I plow through like three a week and a whole (laughs) bunch. I had to stop myself. I, I eat a lot of peanut butter. Uh, Jason gave me a horrified face. I eat a lot of peanut butter. <laughs> I love. I, I eat a lot of peanut butter, but not that much peanut butter. <laughs> listen, there are like six protein sources I can go gangbusters on, and one of them is peanut butter. What is I'm peanut gonna, butter? I'm gonna eat a lot of it. I. It's also just like tied for my favorite food ever, and so I have this like army of empty jars that went through the dishwasher, and they're just such good storage. They're great jars. I. I am the I'm the kind of sucker that will get that peanut butter jar to store that game in because I already do that with a couple of my games. Store them in these Teddy's peanut butter jars. And again, it is something that we're considering, right? Because there is a lot of hoops to go through and you're you're selling a game, but there's an add of that add-on that's food. So what does that involve, right? But you know, on, on your side, uh, uh Jamie, you've got th- this cool art that you've commissioned, right? And it, yes. is is it possible that you can sell stickers? with with that right and little Ah, stuff like that yes Um, that yeah that's a really good point and that's absolutely something i'm considering and i i have not made the public announcement this will be listening to the podcast people will will get the to hear it first um we are working on a sticker set for pride where it's each of the characters holding their identity flags uh and and they're all in chibi and so it's that's going to be a sticker set uh, and we're revealing the seventh nice. character in the game because she hits a demographic that was like one of the main LGBTQ plus graphics, like one of the main letters that isn't present in the first six. And so we're so she's the first character in the next set. and We're revealing her for pride and it's delayed because, you know, I was That's... lazy about writing the description. So it's not happening this month, eh, this month being June. <laughs> Um, you're listening in July because that's when the episode releases. You know what I mean? Anyway, um, what was, oh, right, right, right. Yeah. So that's a great idea. Um, and those stickers are absolutely going to, uh, I will consider them as an add on. I'm considering it strongly. I've already been talked into it. They're going to be an add on. Okay, cool. Good. There talk. you go. And here's the um, another thing about add ons, Jamie, as a point to that and why stickers are perfect and why Julio is smart for suggesting it because they you don't add shipping. Yes, you Put want them in add-ons the that aren't going to add shipping. Yeah. I, uh, my friend Hannah talked about uh, when they did add-ons for their game, and they were like, one was like a t-shirt. And she was like, "Yeah, oh my gosh, now we have to ship a t-shirt with this game, right? And, and, you, like, and you have to get a million different sizes. Yeah, so that's, yeah. yeah. When I said I don't like, I don't want to do add-ons, that's exactly the kind of thing I was referring to. And the stickers is something that I forgot to consider and is a brilliant idea. So thank you. That is a great Leo idea. smart. Um. But yes, the the stretch goal that I have is more art on the cards, because uh, right now there's 10 pieces of art in each character deck that's a repeat of a different card art. And so there's a repeating stretch goal of, hey, tell your friends so we can hit these stretch goals so I can afford more art for the game. Um, that's smart. And, yeah. And then the the only thing that comes close to FOMO is my thought of the first two characters in the second set will be available as like, you get access to the print and play files and the online access and all that stuff for the prototype versions in advance for the Kickstarter for the first set. And then they're actually done and released in the second set. So you might have like this print and play deck. That's like, this is what it looked like when it was a prototype. 
And I figure like that's about as close to a Kickstarter exclusive that I'm willing to go. Well, I mean, and I think one of the things too with Kickstarter, it's not an exclusive, but yeah, you give some give somebody something ahead of time, right? Yeah. I've seen Kickstarters that are like, you get the PDF of the game right away because that's ready to go. Uh, you yeah. can print and play it immediately. It's going to take a while for production, but if you back at this level, we'll give this to you right away. Yeah, that's um, the, that's the plan. Yeah, I mean, so that's not. I mean, it's 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 FOMO, but really in the time sense, and they're not going to miss out completely. Exactly, they're just missing out right then. And if they frankly have other friends that have backed it, they're not missing out because then they can just play it with them. Yep. So yeah, yeah. One one last thing I did wanted to bring uh, forth is is the whole thing with shipping and production of the game. Um, oh, obviously, yeah. I'm not going to get into it, but Whew. there's a lot of <laughs> that's, planning involving that. Two or three episodes on its own. Right, yeah. right, right. Uh, but there is this whole thing with the problem with shipping uh, going on, and 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 it's been a, a real big deal. I mean, containers that you ship from China to the U.S. have gone from four thousand dollars to uh, as as high as thirty six thousand dollars, so you yeah, know yeah. we're talking about nine hundred percent increase. And right now, I think they're maybe like twenty percent, twenty thousand or something. Um, so, so one thing uh, that it may fall on the table, and and it it is something that the publisher uh, that is doing peanut butter belly time is going to do is they're going to be printing the game in the U.S. Um, and what yeah. has made that viable is is honestly the the production uh, quantity. Um, how many copies you're really producing because when you're paying that much for shipping and there's no really it, it can change is so volatile um, you want to make sure to get the best bang for your buck for however many copies you want to print um, and and you know as a as a good m- number um, we're talking about uh, something that you can print in China uh, will co- will cost you like a print run of of let's say um, thirty five thousand, um, and for that that I same print run. When you yeah. say thirty five thousand, are you talking thirty five thousand copies of the game? Sorry, or $35, sorry, dollars. Dollars, dollars. Okay, yeah. So I you was like, yeah. "Holy crap! A, these peanut yeah. butter people are gonna sell a lot of games." <laughs> no, so, no, no. So, quick follow up question because you were talking about you know a print run of a certain size, referencing printing in the U.S. Are you talking a small amount or a very large amount? Uh, a large amount because and okay. what is large and what is small, right? Small, we're talking about uh, you know like five hundred, a thousand. Yes, a thousand, fifteen hundred, uh, and and a lot of people in the U.S. really won't won't print anything unless it's over five thousand. Okay, gotcha. um, cool. I, just, uh, I so wanted that, to make sure I was on the same page in terms of like how many copies of the game we're talking. So we're like talking like five grand, ten grand copies of the game. Kind of thing. Exactly, exactly that, and that's what makes it you know viable to a certain extent. Because if your print run costs thirty five thousand dollars in China, it will cost you about um, I think it's about fifty thousand uh, in, in the U.S. And of course, we're talking about mm-hmm. and and I'm not really referencing the real numbers because that's obviously of course, uh, yeah, confidential. Yeah. But uh, but uh, there's there's a lot of things that you get a benefit from, right? Uh, like, you know, shipping obviously doesn't cost as much and right. it's faster because you're not shipping through water, uh, uh, through a boat. Um, and, and of course there's, there's a certain thing that, you know, something to try out, especially because this, uh, publisher, you know, on their peanut butter side of things, they've gone through a lot of different logistics, uh, shipping logistics that they've learned from. So this is something that's 
a fairly new waters. I know that a lot of publishers that are big, you know, like uh, Hasbro and stuff like that, have done a lot of printing in the U.S. And what has made that viable is is the big quantities and also the simplicity of the game, right? Um, and I think fight sequence is something that can fall into that if you go up to towards oh, yeah. those. It's because you've got cards I've tokens, right? is printing in the U.S. The thing that I'm afraid of is being able to get to ten thousand or five thousand copies or whatever. Yeah, but yeah, and and of course, when but, the game but, goes gangbusters, it's going to be fine. Exactly, exactly. You you uh, plan for the best and expect the worst, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, oh, it's no, so true. No, but but again, if you if you make the if you get quotes on it, that doesn't hurt anybody, right? I mean, the quote may change, but it gives you a good idea. So, yep, and I am just around the corner from that whole land of getting quotes and finding reviewers and previewers and figuring out exactly how much money I'm going to be in debt for, for the rest of my life for making this game or whatever is going to happen. That's the expecting the worst by which I mean, (laughs) find out how many millions of copies I'm going to sell because it's going to be the next star realms or wingspan. There you go. go. Great. Yeah. It'll go great for the target audience. That I know. The issue is how big is the target audience? I'm very confident in the game. I'm super confident. It's just, can I find enough of the target audience and make them aware of the game? That's the big thing. Like we discussed earlier, finding that audience is the, that's the, the big challenge and the big advantage of having a publisher to work with you or for you in that regard. Finding it is, is somewhat, you know, easy right is is having them recognize your game and and of course you know buying it and playing it and 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 moving it forward kind of like telling other people to buy the game right that's kind of the the other thing there it's a whole thing (laughs) (laughs) well i think that was a good a good topic yeah yeah. that was a that was a fun discussion lively fun discussion that we like to have here I immediately realized that Julio and I are, we operate in the exact same space where it's like, we have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> and I, I felt so it was like, oh my God, it, it was, it was, I, I pained myself with how many times I accidentally interrupted you. <laughs> no, no, but we, it didn't happen more than five times. So we're fine. Yeah. Yeah. It happened five or less times between one oh. and five times. <laughs> And I also probably did it once or twice, so it's fine. Yeah. It's something I try to be cognizant of. But it's it's tough because I have so many opinions on things. (laughs) No worries. No worries. Hey, we we got a good topic out of it, and I think the builders will enjoy it. Oh, heck yeah, Yeah. builders. Well, I mean, I'll probably talk about it later once the game is on Kickstarter, but I'll just say quickly about Peanut Butter Belly Time. Yeah. Yeah, that's totally fine. Yes, yes. Peanut Butter Belly Time is a drafting game where you are making peanut butter with nine different ingredients. Each There's oh. three types of ingredients. we got cookies, candy, and fruit. Uh, and you are, it goes two to seven players. It plays in about 20 minutes. Uh, and the cool thing is that you, when you draft a card, you can make a new jar because essentially the card has a jar and an ingredient on top. Or you can add an ingredient by you know splaying the card on top or changing the label of the of the jar by placing it on the bottom oh that's cute (laughs) 
and and of course you know a jar of peanut butter has like the swirly thing so we made the oh, yeah. swirl the whole top so it actually the swirl keeps going up and up with the with the <laughs> ingredients and stuff nice. so it looks it looks super cute um oh, right now i've awesome. shared i've shared some some uh cute art uh on the prototype side of things but the the mm -hmm. publisher actually hired another artist to bring the art to another level which is something that not many people get to do but i'm really excited about the new pro uh the new art the final art for it so it's their final form awesome. the final um, form but the game is fairly straightforward obviously we wanted the audience to be you know family uh friendly but also with some depth there's there's some uh, uh variant uh, stuff like order cards and stuff like that but the game in its base is a simple thing i would say you know as a combination of sushi go and point salad that's a good combination i would yeah. take that this sounds Two games that i like yeah this sounds rad as heck and i'm in awesome well looking forward to for it coming out later this year on a crowdfunding platform yeah i think it's probably kickstarter but we'll see Notify Very me cool. on launch, as they say. Sounds good. <laughs> um, all right. Well, hey, thank you all for uh, coming on the show tonight. This was a super good discussion. Hopefully people learned a lot about preparing for a Kickstarter and all the fun facets of that that are terrifying, because I know I did. <laughs> there, um, there are a number of them. So many of them. <laughs> but listeners, I, I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can, of course, go to buildingthegamepodcast.com. You can find our link to our Discord channel there. You can go to email us at buildingthegamepodcast at gml.com. You can find us on the Twitter at PodcastBTG. I am at J.A. Slingerland. Julio is at Hu Nasaru. And uh, Jamie is at 3X Rainbow Games. Mm -hmm. uh, and we uh, also ask that you just keep coming back next week, every week, all the weeks. Listen to the show. We love when you do that. Heck yeah. But like I definitely time, do. Exactly. <laughs> but until next time, good night. Bye. Buenas noches. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. The end of the episode, that's when it technically ends.